welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 148. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Those of you, anyway, who uh, have recovered from your turkey-induced comas, we just had, as this episode goes out, American Thanksgiving. I hope it was lovely for all of you. I'm recording this before Thanksgiving, so I'm just going to assume that my Thanksgiving was the greatest single holiday event ever. Okay, that might be putting a little bit too much pressure on my family Thanksgiving, but uh, I'm assuming I had a pleasant time as well. And by the time I'm recording this episode, I'm probably out of pecan pie, which may be making me a little bit sad. So uh, I I hope that, uh, you know, future me... Today me, the day this episode is going out, but future me, as I record this, uh, yeah, Bill, you know, future Bill, I, I hope you're doing alright. You will get through this dark time. Alright. Well, what should we do uh, to start off the show? Oh, I know. Let's see how Mad Mike Hughes' Thanksgiving was. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship. Or else he'll go splat He's Mad Mike Hughes Mad Mike Hughes Well, of course, again, as I'm recording this, I can't really see how Mad Mike's Thanksgiving was because it's not Thanksgiving yet. And he has not posted a damn thing on his Facebook page since the last time I recorded. So, Mike, you're making this really uh, hard for me. I was already starting to get a little... um, uh, a little disgruntled, a little, um, uh, uh, my will to keep following you was waning a bit, uh, and now you're not really even giving me anything else to work with, so, tell you what, I will Google you and see what comes up. As you guys know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, I ponied up the four bucks to buy the ebook version of his biography, Mad, Mad Mike Hughes, One Man, or whatever the hell it's called. I started reading it. It's an awful, awfully constructed book. Uh, it's just wretched. Structure of the book is terrible. The spelling is terrible. You can't tell if it's a biography, is it a biography. There literally is no author listed. And the way that the book is written, you can't. It flows between first person and third person, and it's part interview, but not really. It's kind of weird. And then he starts getting off into all this stuff, and also talking about the gold standard and blah blah blah. And all I really want to know, Mad Mike, is do you really think the Earth is flat? And when are you going to launch your stupid rocket? That's really the only reason I'm hanging around. So, uh, if you're listening, and I know you are, just kidding. I have no idea. I, I kind of doubt that you are at all, but. If you are, uh, please just get back on track. Let's see. Nothing comes up in the first few searches uh, that we haven't already talked about. He does have, Mad Mike does, a uh, Wikipedia page. Um, The first paragraph of that page lists him as Mad Mike Hughes is an American limo driver, daredevil, and flat-earth conspiracy theorist known for flying in self-built rockets. Born 1956... Lives in California, where he makes 
US $15 per hour plus tips and a lim as a limousine driver. Set a Guinness re world record in, 19, uh, in 2002 with a 103 foot 31 meter jump off a Lincoln Tower, uh, jump off a Lincoln Town Car Stretch limo. In 2016, Hughes launched a failed fundraising attempt for a rocket that earned only $310. After professing his belief in Flat Earth later that year, he gained support within the Flat Earth community and his post-Flat Earth fundraising campaign made $7,875, which was his goal. Huh, imagine that. Suddenly he was a Flat Earther. Interesting. Uh, etc, etc. A lot of sorry stuff we already talked about. Ian Whitaker of Nottingham Trent University, according to this Wikipedia article, has commented that a more feasible way to view the shape of the Earth is to send up a camera in a high-altitude balloon. If high up enough in the atmosphere, such camera can see the curvature of the Earth. Duh! So, might you might want to consider that. Dr. Whitaker, if you're listening, and I know you are, I don't really know that you are, you might want to give uh, Mad Mike a call. Alright, well, let's close the book on this week's Mad Mike Hughes update. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship or else he'll go splat He's Mad Mike Hughes Mad Mike Alright, well, we've talked about Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope that the uh, Turkey King brought you lots of nice presents, uh, maybe some new Atari games, uh, all that stuff. I guess it's sort of old news now, but of course we recently, this is the first time I've recorded since it happened, uh, we lost uh, our dear beloved Stan Lee, icon of the Marvel Universe, creator of a slew of famous characters, um, probably most notably Spider-Man, of course, and just an all-around great ambassador for superheroes and comic books and all of that stuff. So that was very sad. He had a long life, right? He was 95 or 96, I think. But still, you know, it's sad to see icons like that fall. Whenever I think about Stan Lee and his place in the history of comics, I, I can't help but thinking of Michael Chabon's book. I think it won a Pulitzer or was nominated at least, the, the Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, which you should pick up if you're a comic book fan, particularly a comic book history fan. It, it's not, it, it's, it's fiction. It, it's a book about these two guys, Cavalier and Clay, who create this superhero back in the golden age of comics, um, you know, like the 30s and 40s. Uh, I don't know if that's technically the golden age, but sort of the, the uh, nascent period for comics. And just sort of what their lives were like and, and how their lives evolved as they, they got older and times changed and so forth. Um, it's a really good book. It's a really long book, but it's quite good. So go check that. There, Michael Shabon. If you're listening, and I know you are, no, you're not. Um, I just gave you a free plug for your book. All right, what's going on? What else is going on? Oh, yesterday, my kid uh, and I were helping out my wife. Hi, Jill. Hi, Henry. If you're listening. You're not listening. Um... Uh, Jill does has a little side business selling Norbox products, free plug for Jill and also a separate business selling blankets and uh, baby stuff and other things that she makes at home um, called Patchwork Pepper you can find both of those on the internet and on Facebook and she had a vendor fair at our mall one of our malls around here and Henry and I were helping out with that yesterday and kind of wandering in and out and one of the things we did to uh, take a break was go to our one of our local uh, used game, uh, you know, used game and, and movie stores, and we found a lot of times they don't have much. They never have a whole lot as far as like Atari stuff, and even less 
like in television, and I've never seen anything like uh, Coleco or or any of that kind of stuff. But it, but this time they had for them quite a few Atari games. Most of them were what you would expect: Asteroids and Pitfall and uh, Combat. They had a slew of Combat games, you know, the stuff that everybody has a ton of. But they had a few that I don't that I didn't have, which surprised me. And they were selling only selling them for a buck a piece. I bought another copy of Golf which I got home and discovered I already have. So if anyone needs a, you know, golf cart, you know, send me a dollar and you can have it probably. dollar in shipping. But I also got Backgammon, which I gotta look at my list again, because I may actually have that one too. And Battlezone. Now I'm not saying that any of these are great games necessarily, but they were a buck a piece. And, uh, you know, it adds to the collection, it adds to content for the show. So that was neat. I also got for the Intellivision a copy of Tron Deadly Discs. Now, I'm going to go on record here and say that I've never seen the movie Tron, or the recent uh, sequel. Uh, I'm going to have to do that someday, because it's probably a big gap in my pop culture history. But, you know, Tron Deadly Discs, I thought, alright, it's a buck, I'll buy it. I also got, I'm going to post a picture of this, because it's quite impressive. I got an in-box copy of iMagic Swords and Serpents for the Intellivision. It's got the cart... It's got the manual, and it's got the box, and it was only three bucks. Now, here's the thing. The box, it's all beaten to hell. It is, it, I hesitate to even call it a box anymore. It's sort of a, a vaguely cardboard cover for the little plastic casing that the uh, cartridge and the manual are in. But it is a box, in name anyway, and it was three bucks, so I bought it. I have no idea if this is a good game or not. The pictures look good on the back of the box, you know, so I figured, what the hell, I'll get it. Um, it, you know, to get the cart and the manual, like on eBay or something, I'd pay a lot more than three bucks, probably. So, uh, even for those two things, it was worth it. Uh, and I will probably do that game in, uh, in a television month sometime. So, yeah, that was fun. Henry got PlayStation 2 game. I've got an old PlayStation 2 that he likes to play, which is cool, because, you know, I bought it when it was new, paid whatever I paid for it, and it's nice to get some use out of it. So yeah, it was a good time at the uh, used game store. If you guys at Disc Replay are listening, thanks. You're not listening. Alright, what else is going on? Oh, if you've been following my social medias, you know this already, but I will mention it again here. I was a guest on a podcast called The Total Stick Cast. Paul over there invited me, and I was happy to do it. I talked with Paul and his co-host that week, uh, Ryan. The episode just came out as I'm recording this. On a Sunday, just came out this past Friday. You can go to the Total Stick Cast website or your podcatcher and find it there. It was fun. We talked about uh, Peanuts. I, I was mostly invited because uh, Paul is a huge fan of the It's a Podcast Charlie Brown podcast that I also do. So we talked quite a bit about that. We, but we also talked a lot about this podcast, Atari Bytes. And then they had lots of questions about sort of the history of Atari and gaming and sort of Atari's place in the gaming universe, and then sort of the implications of all these new consoles coming out. We talked a little bit about the the new Atari console that was supposed to happen, or maybe is going to still happen. And then that new Intellivision thing, uh, the Amico, or whatever it's called, that's supposed to be coming out. Now, I am sure, if you listen to this, I am sure that I did a horrible job of talking about the history of these consoles, because I am not, as I've mentioned many times on this podcast, I am not a gamer, really, I'm not uh, a retro gaming historian. I am picking up things as I go 
doing this podcast, but I imagine there are a lot of you out there who could have done a better job with the history uh, than I did. But, you know, I tried my best. It was fun. I had a good time on the show. So go check out those guys, Paul and Ryan. I think his usual co-host is named Shane, but Shane was not available that day, so I talked to Paul and Ryan. Had fun, and uh, if you, uh, you know, if you don't get enough of my voice on this podcast, go listen to me on that one. All right, what else should we do? Oh, what the heck? Why don't we talk about a game? This week's game is. What does a man of adventure do between adventures? I play Exidy's Venture, the video cartridge that plays just like the arcade game. Sharpens my reflexes. Armed only with an arrow, you hunt for treasure, gold, diamonds, and it's not easy because you have to get past deadly monsters, goblins, snakes, and dragons. Play Venture on your ColecoVision, Atari VCS, or Intellivision video game system. I hate dragons. Venture from Coleco, 1982. Venture is a pretty straightforward game. We did a little bit of a primer for a story. It has a byline even. Haunted Dungeons, USA. Over the past few weeks, several professional treasure hunters have disappeared while exploring a dungeon reported to house the most priceless treasures in the world. The only known survivor has returned with stories of monsters with, who eliminate anyone who dares enter the dungeons, halls, and complex labyrinths of chambers, but authorities are not taking such reports seriously. Quote, We have no rational explanation for these disappearances, one investigator reported. All we know is that the brave soul who wants to claim these treasures had better be sharp. At this point, the only one I know who's clever enough for the job is Winky. Trademark. That'd be a weird way for somebody to talk, wouldn't it? You're just going along in your sentence and, not, and you say a name and then you say trademark right after it. But anyway, the investigator told a crowd of would-be hunters all of this. Quote, our hero should be ready with bows and arrows. Whoever or whatever is guarding these treasures is determined that no one comes out of there alive. We're using the joystick for this one. It's pretty simple. You plug in the joystick, you turn it so that the red fire button is in the upper left-hand corner. My favorite direction of all time. There are four different skill levels. Level 1 is left difficulty switch B, right B. Level 2 is left B, right A. 3 is left A, right B. And 4 is left A, right B. Or right A. You press the reset, duh, to start the game. The uh, movements are pretty straightforward, right? You move the joystick in the direction you want to go. You begin your venture in the first hole. Here's the thing. Why don't... Well, I think I know the answer to this. Why do they call it Venture? Why don't they just call it Adventure? The reason, obviously, is because there's already a game called Adventure. Ferg's favorite game. Hi, Ferg. So you begin your Venture in the first hall of chambers. Each chamber houses one treasure, guarded by herds of horrible and dangerous monsters. Your goal is to capture the treasure in every chamber. To do so, you must get past the hall monsters, enter another chamber, and capture the treasures. The order for entering the chambers is up to you. But once you grab a treasure from a chamber, you're locked out of that chamber for good, mister. Capturing the treasure is no easy task. When you enter a chamber, you must be alert. While you're running for the treasure, the monsters inside the chamber are running after you. You can stop them by killing them with your arrows, but grab the treasure first, then shoot them to win point. If you run into a chamber monster dead or alive, you'll lose a winky. And for God's sakes, people, you do not want to lose your winky. I cannot stress that strongly enough. As if this weren't enough to worry about, those pesky hall monsters are getting impatient. And I think everyone at one time or another has been impatient with your winky. If you stay inside a chamber too long, they'll come in to get you. You cannot shoot hell monsters, however. The only way... I keep wanting to call them hell monsters. I think that'd be a way better name. But I guess this is a kid's game. And the only way to protect yourself is to run from them. Run away! If they get you, you'll lose a winky. <laughs> yes, I'm 12 years old. The trickiest chamber of all is the hall room. 
the, sorry, the wall room. Here, you can reach the treasure only by careful timing. Unfortunately for you, you can't shoot the moving electrified walls. If you capture the treasure in every chamber, you'll descend to a new hall of chambers, even more horrible and dangerous than the previous one. Remember that Winky has three backups to help out in case you run into trouble. The game is over if you use up all four of the Winkies. That's it. Pretty straightforward game. I really wish... Um, maybe this is jumping ahead to my review part. I really wish they called the hero something other than Winky. If this was, um, oh, what is it? Centipede, where you're supposedly a little elf tending your garden. If you wanted to call that dude Winky, maybe he had a name. I don't remember. But if you wanted to call that dude Winky, that would make sense. This treasure hunting fighting monsters game where the hero's called Winky, I I'm sorry, Coleco, I think you really could have done better. Venture started out its life as a 1981 fantasy themed arcade game by Exidy. It was also a launch title for the ColecoVision in 1982. That's what we're playing, of course. Well, the Atari 2600 version. And it was also uh, ported to the Intellivision. None of which I have played. Uh, this is the first time that I can remember that I've ever played Venture in any form. The ColecoVision version of Venture was reviewed in Video Magazine in its Arcade Alley column where its graphics and background music were praised. Reviewers predicted that the game's complex play, routine, and strategies which had made the game seem out of place in the arcade, would guarantee the home release's popularity. Not sure why it would seem out of place in the arcade, but alright. It would go on to receive a Certificate of Merit in the category of Best Arcade to Home Video Game Translation at the 4th Annual Archie Awards. Creative Computing, Video and Arcade Games in 1983 complained of the reception of the first three levels, uh, of the repetition of the first three levels after completing them, but said that otherwise ColecoVision Venture is just as enjoyable as the arcade version. Jan Yarno reviewed the Coleco version of Venture in The Space Gamer, number 58. Yarno com commented that, quote, I wish the designer were credited. He deserves it. The cartridge is a lot of fun and should remain out of, uh, one of our favorites for years. I recommend it. Close quote. Over at 8-Bit Central, our friends, talking about the Atari 2600 version, commented, I never played Venture in the arcade since I was much more of a FPS space battle sort of player, but I love the home version. Even Dragon's Lair didn't entice me, although I later became an ardent Laserdisc fan before DVD came along and ruined it. So anyway, the arcade controls of Venture are identical to the 2600, a joystick and fire button. Currently, I'm embarrassed to admit how much fun I had with Coleco's home version of Venture for the 2600. It's not a challenging game, it's, nor it's not difficult, it's actually pretty lame, but I think the allure was the idea of trailing from room to room and having each one fill the screen upon entry. For unknown reasons, I did like Atari's Adventure despite a general hatred of RPG-ish titles. Fe uh, Venture 2 was created by Tim Snyder as a sequel to classic game Venture. He added more walls and stashed treasure in more remote areas that makes you scramble to avoid the final monster who rages right at you. Additionally, the he changed the monsters, which give a nice, face to n a nice facelift to the Venture concept. Batani's hack of Venture looks much more like the original until you clear the second, le uh, second level and discover that he has restored the missing third level. Yay! I still can't explain why I like this game, referring to the original adventure, so much as a kid, or why it still makes me smile when I play it. Make no mistake, it's not a very good game. And I wonder how well the arcade version f fared quarter-wise. The game sucks, but if you're into a giddy treasure fest with Smiling Winky, load this baby up and keep a stocked cooler nearby. Final Judgment Atari Venture never captured my interest in arcades, but I did like this game a lot on the 2600, problem is it sucks ass. I can't explain why I like this game so much, considering all the available hacks. I guess I'm not the only one who liked it, but it's an, art, it's an acquired taste. 
Mindspring.com is also annoyed that there's no third level in the Atari 2600 home version, but the two levels that the game does offer are surprisingly well done. The score conscious among us will find it interesting to note that Winky receives no points for monsters killed before the treasure is taken. Only those shot on the way out contribute to your score. Yeah, that's mentioned in the manual, but they don't make a big deal about it. So I really didn't even think about it at first, but it is kind of annoying. The game has a unique, if cumbersome, approach to setting the skill level. In Venture, there's only one game variation. The player must use combinations of difficulty switch settings to select the skill level in the game the game starts on. And I, I went through that already. My favorite touch in the game has to be the treasure in the lower spider room of the second hall. It's a green key shaped exactly like the keys in Adventure. But more than that, it's a salute from one Atari 2600 Adventure game to another. The game is a respectable translation of the arcade game. The graphics are good. There are several unique treasures and monsters. The feel of the arcade game is maintained. Is Venture truly an adventure game? It's more of a maneuvering contest. A good adventure game should be fun to play regardless of points or scores. In this case, there wouldn't be much long-term replay value without the scoring system. But adventure fans should find some enjoyment in the themes and challenges of the game. Think adventure is a quickie adventure game next time you have a few minutes to kill. And that is how you play and possibly think about it about I almost said adventure. About venture. Seriously, they should have called it something else. Maybe Winky's Winkfest or something. I don't know. So after the break, would you like to venture a guess what's next? Whoa, not that. That's disgusting. You do that in your own podcast. Hi, everybody. It's V.H. Adderley here. You may remember me from a late-night spy show that CBS ran after the local news to compete in a futile effort to unseat Johnny Carson as the king of late-night TV at that time. No? Well, anyway, my friends call me Ad. At least they would if I had any friends. And I'm offering you a unique opportunity to go on an ad-venture. Join me as we explore deep dungeons, fight vicious monsters, but not too vicious, unless you pay a little extra for the extra viciousness. I promise you, you will have the adventure of your life. Join me today. All right, so I'm looking at the grid for adventure. It reminds me a little bit of Berserk, and that's not a bad thing necessarily. So let's see what we got. The first thing that throws me is that on that first opening screen... Back off, monster. All right, I'm in a treasure room. Oops. I was thinking more about talking than I was about shooting things. All right. So when I start to say... Uh, I gotta shoot some stuff again. The, ro the robots even look like... A little bit like... The robots from Berserk. And I guess they're not robots, actually. They're monsters. But they look a little bit like the robots from Berserk. In that opening screen, the first thing that throws me, what I started to say was, your character is just a dot. And that, you know, I guess because you're just represented on a map. Where the hell's my guy? Oh, there he is. Um, Alright, I'm in another treasure room. Oh, yeah, I like this one. This is the one with the moving walls. The moving electric walls. I think they're kind of cool. Alright, I got the treasure, and I gotta get out. Run away! When you go into the treasure room, it throws me a little... Whoa, he's kind of scary. 
looks a little bit like Sutek from uh, Doctor Who. Your guy, the uh, sprite for your guy when you're in the treasure room, looks a little bit like Evil Otto. So at first you think, oh no, it's Evil Otto. And then you realize, no, that's you. Wow, I'm dead already. Uh, all right, let's try it again. So I'm going to another treasure room. The treasure, like in this room, it looks like how if you sketched a stove, it's what it would look like. I guess it's supposed to be an open treasure chest. I'm looking at it again. I guess that's what that's supposed to be. One funky thing is after you shoot the monster, if you touch it as you're walking by, you still die. Because monsters are jerks. Even in death. Alright, I got the treasure. Wow, it's a long way to the door, though. I bet that bad guy shows up. Yep, there he is. Alright, now I'm way the hell down there. I'm in another treasure room. Die, you vaguely spider-looking thing. Get away from me. Got that thing that kind of looked like a pink strawberry. Man, it's kind of a scary mon uh, scary noise when that monster thing shows up in the treasure room. I like that. Uh, what room haven't I been in yet? Alright, there's another, whoops, there's another room with electric walls. I like me some electric balls. Ow, except when I touch them. Alright, one more guy. So this is a very simple looking game, but I, I don't really have any complaints. I kind of liked it. Alright. Ah! All the spider things converged on me. I hate when that happens. Alright, well, no treasure for me today. Back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Hey, it's the holiday season, which means it's time once again to tell you that in addition to the stories you hear every week on this podcast, I also write books. And one of those is called In the Saint Nick of Time, which is a holiday-themed story, go figure, in which Santa Claus himself is burned out. He's tired of being Santa. He quits. He ends up in the town of Santa Claus, Indiana, which is a real place where he meets up with Cameron Jones, a famous author who is having his own troubles. He's fighting with his ex-wife over custody with their child. He is suffering about a writer's block and about of something else, which is causing him to have long conversations with a foul-mouthed, hallucinated goldfish. Cameron's buddy, Dogwater Hunt, has his own issues. Dogwater is an avowed conspiracy theorist and a multiple alien abductee. He is convinced that aliens are going to visit Earth once again on Christmas Eve, and he is intent on catching one. 
these three men are thrown together during the holiday season, and because it's a Christmas story, of course they have to save Christmas as we know it. But of course they learn a little bit about themselves and about friendship along the way. Now, this is a book in which Santa Claus appears, but it is not a Santa story for kids. This one is aimed squarely at adults, mostly because I looked around and thought, huh, nobody has really written a novel with a real-life Santa for adults. So I thought I would change that. In the Saint Nick of Time is my attempt to give adults the Santa that they didn't know they were missing. Go check it out. You can get the book wherever you order your books. All I ask is that you please leave a review at that place so that other people can see what you thought and so that they can find the book a little bit easier, not to mention the fact that it makes me feel better about myself. All right, well, happy holidays. So here's the thing about adventure. I never played it in the arcade that I remember, so I can't really compare it. I actually kind of like it. It's kind of fun. I think I would play this some more. I I think I would play it some more up to a point. I don't think it's going to be an all-time play it over and over again, like uh, Pitfall or Pitfall 2 or actually Frogger's coming to mind. Um, Frogger, definitely not a complicated game, but it it is a just nice comfort food to go back to. You know, and there are others that I I replay a lot and a lot. Miss Pac-Man. This is probably not going to be one of those, but I think I will come back to a little bit since literally today... It's the first time I've ever played it that I can remember. So I think there's more time to be spent. But I also get that maybe it feels a little repetitive after a while, and maybe um, maybe having not having that third level from the arcade would bother somebody who actually knew what the arcade version was like. As always, if you have thoughts about Venture, let me know. All right, folks, it's time for this week's story. Man, I still need a theme for that. Are there any musical types out there? If you want to write me a little theme... For story time, after 148 episodes, it's probably about time I had one. So, get on that. Thanks. (laughs) Now that I've put you to work, let me tell you a story, friends. This week's story is titled, Treasure of My Heart. Honestly, we have no rational explanation for these disappearances, the lead investigator said. He stepped back from the row of press conference microphones, shook his head, and leaned back in. The stories we've heard about what goes on in those dungeons are frankly fantastical. The only person on the planet I know brave enough to find that treasure and those treasure hunters is Carmen Winky. A murmur ran through the hard-bitten press corps. Carmen Winky was world-renowned among the small subset of humans who explore dungeons and the overlapping subset that watches shows on History Channel about humans who explore dungeons. But several years earlier, Carmen Winky had said, No more, and walked away from the adventuring life. No one knows why. No one, that is, except Carmen. And she isn't talking. Ever. The investigator went on. Carmen Winky, if you're out there, we need you. Half a world away. The apartment was dark, except for the low wattage bulb over the kitchen table. The light reflected off the heart-shaped decanter as, as Carmen Winky drained the last of the bourbon into a juice glass that had probably been washed this month, but Carmen couldn't have told you when. Or cared. She couldn't go out there again. The last trek through the dungeons was enough. The gloom, the stale air, the promise of discovery that hung suspended, but far from guaranteed, in that air. She could still hear the thud of boots on cobblestones. The rattle of keys and old locks chilled her in the still before sleep. And there was the other deep echo, too, the one that rattled in her soul 24-7, the one she willed herself not to acknowledge for fear of losing what remained of her sanity. But those missing treasure hunters, Carmen knew them, was friends with them, most of them anyway. People would think it strange if he didn't go. 
But could she do it? After what happened last time? Bah! She was Carmen Winky. She couldn't wimp out. Flicking her long braid behind her, she grabbed the rucksack she always kept packed for quick getaways. Whispering isn't really whispering when you're deep in brick dungeons with good acoustics. 36 hours after Carmen Winky put down the bourbon and got on a plane to fly halfway around the world, she was deep underground, where any part of the world would pretty much look like this, uh, any other. And the team assembled to help her find those lost treasure hunters were not shy about voicing their displeasure. Whisper or scream. Eakin scratched the area below his eye patch. I don't trust her. Bannister scoffed. She wouldn't sleep with you, huh? Eakin's bloodied Bannister's nose. It is fortunate Cooper knew Akito. The fight was over pretty quick. The team, such as it was, headed into the wall room. You might find this room shocking, Winty deadpanned. We could just shoot her, Bannister said. Cooper smirked. Our luck, she probably couldn't die. The three hunters walked in lockstep, their footsteps falling in unison, until suddenly Winky stopped walking. Cooper and Bannister did not. Winty raised a hand, but Cooper and Bannister were in front of him. No, Winky said, probably not loud enough. Bannister, in particular, suffered from this as he walked directly into an invisible electric wall. Bannister spasmed as the electricity coursed through him. Moments later, he was still, like, dead still, if that wasn't clear. You could have said something, Cooper said. Carmen Winky shrugged. He knew the risks. The electric wall did him a favor. If, when, the hall monsters get us, that death will be a lot more painful. If you all live through this, you should learn to hear electricity. That's what I do. Winky kept marching. Eakins got right in Winky's face, all hot breath and whiskers. We gotta go back, he said. And then what? Winky said. Your treasure hunters will still be missing. I don't know, Eakins said. We could get more reinforcements, maybe. More lambs for the slaughter, you mean? Winky said. Cooper swayed from her canteen. If we're all doomed, she said, what are you doing here? I was doomed a long time ago. Winky kept on walking. They stepped into a seemingly empty chamber, but Carmen Winky knew differently. A door separated this chamber from something else. That could be treasure, Cooper said. Only one way to find out, Eakin said. I propose caution, Winky responded. Shocker, Cooper said. You never want to do anything. Winky cocked her head again. She could hear something. It wasn't electricity this time, though. And for the first time, she was scared. We should go back, she said softly. Losing your nerve, Eakins mocked. Where's the big bad hunter now? Eakins yanked over the stout wood door and was immediately devoured by what looked to him in the four seconds before he died like a slime-drenched monolith of gloom. It was the hall monster. To Cooper, the monster looked like loneliness and fear. But Cooper centered herself and took a fighting stance. To Winky, who did not move, the monster looked like Dave. Dave was the expedition leader on the last treasure hunt Winky went on. The one where everyone died. Everyone except Winky. The monster, Dave, turned his gaze on Winky. Go ahead, bastard, Winky said. I got nothing to lose. The hall monster launched at Winky, who spun around and produced a bloody stiletto from who the hell knows where, and pierced the Dave monster's heart. Again. As the monster faded from existence, the treasure chest behind it flew open, three bloody beating hearts within. One heart for each of the three dead companions from Winky's last expedition. Holy... Cooper said, what is that? Well, 
They may not be jewel-encrusted goblets, Winky sneered, but I needed some sort of treasure from my last expedition. You mean, Cooper said, putting the pieces together. Different rules down here, my friend, Winky said. Those heartbeats have pierced my soul for months. They're yours now. Brandishing the stiletto, Winky lurched toward Cooper, who braced to fight. Instead, though, Winky kept on running, deep into the catacombs, screaming all the way. She has not been seen, or heard, since. Eventually, authorities stopped looking for her. The dungeons are sealed off now, though some who pass on their nature hikes report hearing a faint heartbeat echoing from within. Thump, 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 thump. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks also to Mike Mann for his Mad Mike Hughes update theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, which you know because you found it. Those include Stitcher, iHeartRadio, on and on and on. But wherever you go to listen, make sure you venture over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review to help anyone out there who might venture a guess that this is a podcast for them. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page, and thanks in advance for doing that. You can find the website at ataribytes.libsyn.com, email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com, like the Atari Bytes Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Hit us up on Instagram, too. There's weirdness over there from time to time. And if you haven't gotten enough of my voice already... Don't forget to check out my other podcast. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, which drops on the 15th of every month and covers any darn thing you can think of in the PNC universe. Snoopy, Charlie Brown, the whole gang, the strip, the TV specials, the movies, the merchandise, the mind of Charles Schultz himself, uh, related projects. We just this month talked to Jason Youngbluth, who wrote an adult-themed graphic novel about the PNC characters as adults. Uh, seriously, we do everything over there. You love Snoopy. Admit it. Go check out that podcast. Tell all your friends who love Snoopy to check it out as well. Thanks. Next time on Atari Bytes. Gopher. Yep, it's a game called Gopher. And we're playing it. And making up a story about it. I'm going to guess, in the story, there's probably a gopher. Although I could really mess with you. And you'll be expecting a gopher story, and it'll be like uh, a story about pigeons or something. Don't think I wouldn't do it. And tune in next week to find out if I did. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.